Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Empowered Living. So turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 6, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Chosen. Ephesians 1, 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. You know, yesterday I began a study of verse 3. We, that is, all who have come to know Christ as Savior and Lord, have been born again, have received from the Father every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This means, as we saw, that all that is required for our holiness and blamelessness has been granted to God's people. Neither the demons of hell or anything else will be able to rob Christians from attaining to all that God has promised we would be given. In short, we are rich beyond all comparison. God has withheld nothing from his people. I only briefly alluded to verse 4 yesterday, and this is where we're going to begin today. But as we begin today, I fear that there will be those who will find these next few verses, that is, verses 4 through 6, troubling. That's because it uses two words that many of us, well, to put it plainly, many of us choke over these words. They are the words chosen and predestined. You know, more than once I've faced a critic who said in a rather demanding word, do you believe in predestination? To which I have a long and practiced response. I usually say, I don't know, is it in the Bible? Because if it is, well, I guess I believe it. And so my task is twofold. One is the task of helping you understand that you're actually listening to back to the Bible, in which we hold the Bible, not me, but the Bible, to have the final word on all matters of faith and practice. And it's not my hobby horse, rather I try to as much as I'm able, to take myself out of the mixture and simply to allow the Bible to express itself. So acknowledging that some of us are going to have some difficulty, let's move forward. And as we do, let's remember that verse 3 all the way through to verse 14 is one very long sentence. It's a long, complex, but exciting sentence. Verse 4 explains how it is that God has provided us with every spiritual blessing, so much so that we're guaranteed to be holy and blameless before him. And so we begin with verse 4, even as he chose us, says Paul. That is, God the Father has blessed us even as he chose us. We're meant to understand that God the Father is the author of our blessing. He's the author of our choosing. Paul also wants us to understand why God can give us every spiritual blessing in Christ. He can do this, says Paul, because he has chosen us. The choosing of his people is the reason why he's visited them with blessings. The Greek word for chose is the word electos. We could just as easily read, even as he elected us before the foundation of the world. It's as if Paul is telling us that before the world began, there was an election. But this election is so unlike all the elections that happen in the democracies of the world today. In India, for example, which is the world's largest democracy, it actually takes over a month to complete the entire election. I've been told the matter is quite complicated. It involves, you know, moving the campaign from state to state in which each state concludes an election 
and then the process moves to the next state. So many people are involved. It's lengthy. Well, contrast that to the election in heaven before the foundation of the world. Unlike human elections, only one person is electing or doing the voting. The elector or the one who enters the voting booth is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He and he alone is casting the ballot. His is the only one and his is definitive. And who is the Father electing? Well, according to Ephesians 1.4, he's electing us. So who's us? According to Ephesians 1.3, the us are those who have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And according to Ephesians 1.4, the us are those who will be presented holy and blameless before him. So who's us? Well, us are the redeemed of the Lord. Us are those who have been born again. Us are those who in the fullness of time would bow their knee to Jesus, call him Savior and Lord, surrender their lives to his will. So clearly, God is electing his saints, those whom he would cleanse from their sins. And by the way, this is why in a great many places in the Bible, Christians are called the elect, the chosen. Now, in order to see that, we need to notice that the Greek word electos is often translated in modern translations as chosen. And once we see that, we're going to see a great many passages about election numerous times running through our Bible. So, for instance, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 28. But God chose or elected what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God elected what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God elected what is low and despised in the world. That's how God exercised his election. He didn't elect the world's elite. Rather, he elected those who were despised so that it would become altogether clear that God alone gets the glory for the salvation of his people. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4. For we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you or that he has elected you. Or 1 Peter 2 verse 4. As you come to him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, elect and precious. So to be completely frank, Ephesians 1 4 is not the only place in our Bible where we are told that God elected his own. Who are Christians? We're the elect. We're the ones God elected. Now, as we've seen, God did not elect us because he saw some merit in us. That's why many Bible teachers, when speaking about election, use the words unconditional election. That's to say, we didn't do something to earn our election. We didn't meet a condition to get God to put an X beside our names. Well, we know this must be the case. Well, how? Because according to Ephesians 1 verse 4, this election was held when? Before the foundation of the world. That is, before you and I or the universe had come into being. And by the way, do you remember the events that surrounded the calling of Jeremiah the prophet? Jeremiah 1 5 has God telling the man who will be a prophet, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And by the way, do you remember Galatians 1, 15 and 16? Paul the Apostle is speaking and he says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called or elected me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. So that's how Paul understood his own salvation. He called me by his grace before I was born. And by saying that, Paul is saying, Look, how can I take credit for my salvation? God gets the credit. So back to Ephesians 1.4. Here Paul is saying, It's not just Jeremiah who was chosen before he was born. And it's not just I, Paul, who was chosen before I was born. 
or for that matter, Abraham or David or others. It was all God's people who were elected before the foundation of the world was laid. But now stop for a moment and think about what that means in the grand scope of things. Why did God create this world? Well, Paul's telling us that before God spoke those first words, let there be light, before any matter exploded into existence from the breath of his mouth, God had already elected his chosen people. It was the chosen people of God who were the subject of the drama of creation. God created so that a people would be made into his own, a people chosen by grace. Now, having said that, go back to Ephesians 1.4. Notice the purpose in God's election, that we, the ones elected by him, would be holy and blameless before him. You know, Paul could have said, he chose us in him that we should be redeemed and forgiven. Now, if he had said that, that would be true. And had he said that, we might have responded, of course that's true. After all, by by the time we get to verse 7, we read all about redemption through the blood of Christ. Oh, that's very good stuff, and it's so encouraging to the believer. But notice it's different here. Paul says that the purpose of our election is not just the damage of sin that needed to be repaired, but rather that we would be the people that God created us to be. You see, in Romans 8, 29 to 30, Paul speaks of God's people conformed to the likeness of his son. See, and that's the purpose of our election, is that we should be ethically, morally, and spiritually pure. The purpose of our election is that we would be more and more Christ-like, more and more like Jesus. The purpose of our election is that we would be holy even as God is holy. The purpose of our election is that we should live the life that God has destined for us to live. Well, if that's what God elected us for, and if God did that before the foundations of the earth, here's the question, can that possibly fail? Well, of course it can't. Before the world was even begun or formed, God was already electing this outcome for his people. Boy, that's overwhelming. In the spring of 2022, we have an exciting ministry vacation event designed just for you as we extend an invitation to journey with us for the Back to the Bible Canada's Israel experience. Travel to the Holy Land and experience many of the locations where Jesus, Paul, David, and so many others walked. Visit the Jordan River, the Garden of Gethsemane, Capernaum, and David's Royal Palace. Visit the Garden Tomb and and sail the Sea of Galilee as we worship together. Enjoy on-location Bible teaching with Dr. Neufeld and be encouraged and share in the laughter with Laugh-Again's Phil Calloway. Experience all Israel has to offer with an intimate group of Christian friends. Don't miss this wonderful limited registration opportunity to visit the Holy Land and be inspired and refreshed in your walk with Jesus. For more information, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. I know that when it comes to our election, there are some questions that many of us have. I mean, the two most frequent of all the questions are as follows. Number one, is this fair to those who weren't elected? And number two, what about free will and the power of choice? 
Well, both of those two questions are valid, and, and you'll notice that neither of those two questions are actually addressed in this passage that we're studying today. That God elected his own before the foundation of the world, that's what's being discussed. Now, those other questions that we have, they are addressed, I think, in Romans chapter 9, even back in Romans chapter 6 and 7. Since the discussion of those questions tend to be quite long and does involve some very important teachings about how sin takes away the power of righteous choices and how salvation can be given as a free gift in such a way that freedom is not destroyed. Well, all of that is important, but for now, let me simply say, God's election of his own from before the foundations of the world is not incompatible with human free choice, nor is it incompatible with God's justice in the life of every human being. But we do need to begin with the premise that when the Bible teaches us that God elects his own, those words are just true. So please don't forget the purpose of God's election. First, we can be assured that he has so blessed us that no spiritual blessing is lacking because God has elected us. And furthermore, he has elected us so that we would be holy and blameless before him. Now let's follow Paul's line of thought to verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. You know, by now, we should not be surprised to find the word predestined. The word can also be translated as to foreordain or even to decree. That word is used six times in the New Testament. So let's, for our purposes, translate the word to decree just to make it a little easier. I say this because whenever some Christians read the word predestined, it's it's like putting a red flag in front of a bull. Even though the word's found in the Bible, it often causes a vitriolic response. So let's translate our passage. In love, God the Father decreed that we should be adopted to himself. You know, I sometimes, when I do a teaching on the will of God, speak about two different ways the will of God is expressed in the Bible. We can make a distinction between God's will of decree and his will of command. So let's start with God's will of command. God commands in the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. That's God's will. He's commanded us to obey it. But of course, not only the first command, but all 10 of the 10 commandments have been broken, ignored, twisted, and made more suitable for human beings. In other words, when God commands something, that command might not be obeyed. Even if God wills that it should be so, nevertheless, in many cases, it's not so. Such is the case in God's will of command. But God's will of decree, that's a different matter. When God says, let there be light, he's not commanding it, he's decreeing it. When God says to Pharaoh, let my people go, it might sound like a will of command. In other words, Pharaoh seems quite capable of saying no, but is he really? God has decreed that his people should inherit the promised land. And no matter what Pharaoh wants, God has decreed or predestined that it should come to be. I could speak on this subject at length, but for now, let's just settle on the fact that when God ushers in a decree, he has predestined the result. And so says Paul, who's trying to describe all the rich blessings we have in Christ, that God elected Christians as his own, and with that election came an eternal decree. The decree is that the elect would be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. Pause and consider what's being said. Jesus, says this passage, is the means whereby the Father has made the elect into sons and daughters of God. 
Why is that such a blessing or such a privilege? Well, if you go ahead to Ephesians 2 verse 3, we're told that before our conversion, we were the children of wrath. We might call ourselves the sons and daughters of wrath. We belong to the family of the damned, but not now. Now, after our conversion, we are, according to Ephesians 4.13, the sons of God, reaching to mature manhood, which in this text means that we will reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, I think it's valuable to consider what adoption meant in the ancient world. Very rich people who had considerable land holdings had a vibrant business, political influence. Well, they might find themselves without an heir to the family fortune. For whatever reason, they had no son who could take over after their death. And so a rich man would adopt a son from another family and train him up so that he might inherit his vast wealth. And that's the image of adoption that most ancient peoples had. It's very different from what we think of today. Of course, we know that all believers are destined to rule and reign with Christ. We're joint heirs with Christ of all the works of God's hands. Well, now, that's the image of predestination. When God chose his people from eternity past, he also decreed that this is the role they would play in the world to come. But why, we might ask, did God decide to foreordain such a thing? And the answer is, he decided to do this in accordance to the purpose of his will. So notice the two words, would you? The first is purpose and the second will. So start with the word purpose. The Greek word is often translated as pleasure, that is, according to the pleasure of his will. God is pleased or finds delight in predestining his elect to be his adopted children who are going to inherit the world to come. It brings a smile to his face. God didn't do it reluctantly. He did it with enthusiasm. He absolutely loves making the broken and sin-stained children of wrath into sons and daughters of God. He loves it. The second word is the word will. God did it for the purpose or the pleasure of his will. And here, since the will of God is tied to the concept of predestination, well, we should see this must be God's will of decree. Nothing but nothing is going to stop this from happening. God is resolute in this matter. It's not as if he starts someone on the road to salvation and then he sees how badly they're doing and he abandons them in disgust. No, 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 no. Nothing could be further from the truth. May I ask you, my dear Christian friend, contemplate this matter. Some of us never consider the greatness of our salvation. We spend our lives constantly feeling we're not good enough. And of course, you are not good enough. But God is not like a politician who's suddenly going to change his mind or like a teacher who might give you a failing grade. No, no, he's God. And when God decreed the world into existence, it became the world. And when God decrees that you would enjoy fully the rights of sons and daughters of God, that's what you are. Verse 6, it speaks of the end goal. To the praise of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved. That is, when God's elect have reached the gates of eternity, what will they say? They will praise his glorious grace. Notice the emphasis is on grace. They will say, oh my, I didn't know how glorious is the grace of God. In reality, I didn't go looking for God. Indeed, Paul was right after all. Romans 3.11, he said, no one seeks God. And when we're honest and when we reflect on it, we'll say, yeah, I was a hater of God. But I found out that before God created the world, he elected me not only to be his own, but to be an heir with Christ of the world to come. And then, that's why I came to Christ. 
But after I was in Christ, I stumbled and I sinned, and I often didn't realize the wealth of my salvation. But none of that deterred God. In ages past, he made an eternal decree that I would be holy and blameless in his sight, fully inheriting my rights as a son of God. And when we finally see what it is that we've inherited, and when we finally realize that we did nothing to gain such an inheritance, and by the way, we really did nothing to gain this inheritance. And when we say, oh, look, God did it all, and then we will say, it was all grace. It was never anything but grace. It was the kind and loving and rich, undeserved mercy of God on me. All glory goes to God for such amazing grace. And Paul ends by saying, this is how he has blessed us in the beloved, he says. And when he says, in the beloved, that's a reference to Jesus. Paul is saying, it happened in the beloved Son of God. Jesus made it possible. In Jesus, this is what God has caused to occur chosen from eternity past. See, before we debate about the word chosen and predestined, could we not all for just a moment be filled with wonder and praise and awe of a God who has done such great things in us? Might we say to him, I don't fully understand how this all fits together, but I am overwhelmed that for my salvation, all glory and praise goes to you and to you only. Praise for your grace. John, you know, this brings up an issue, I think, that, that's uncomfortable for some. You know, the, the whole concept of election and predestination, we can stumble over that. But how should we think of those things? Yeah, Ben, you're right. I mean, so many people really do stumble. The minute they read verse 5, he predestined us for adoption. You know, we talked uh, yesterday briefly, you and I, Ben, about how easy it is for us to pass words by and quickly go to the next one. But let's not do that. Um, you know, before we even, you know, enter any kind of debate in terms of how predestination, uh, foreordination, I mean, all those words uh, chosen before the foundation of the world, how all of those words work, let's just uh, lower the temperature and simply say, Lord, speak for your servant hears. If you have said that I was chosen before the foundation of the world. If your word says that, I simply will accept it. Now, I've got a lot of questions I'm going to have to address later on. But as Augustine said, that we need to believe first, then we understand second. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us tomorrow as we continue our series in the book of Ephesians, Empowered Living, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. Following Christ involves offering Him everything. Therefore, it naturally follows that following Christ includes our money and our resources. Well, this month, we're excited to offer you Dr. John Neufeld's entire CD series, God and Money, as our free Bible teaching resource, and, and all you need to do is ask. In this five-message series, Dr. Neufeld describes the advantages of money, its inherent dangers, and how we should manage our money based on an understanding of what the Bible actually teaches. Break down some of the myths and open up your heart and mind as you listen to this important series, God and Money. 
ask for your free copy today. All you need to do is visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.